buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm very pumped up for today's guest. I've got Brian Alesser, VP of Sales over at Saster. Brian Alesser is the VP of Sales at Saster. He's a driven and accomplished sales leader uh, and strategies with over 10 years of leading teams in SaaS. Brian sits on several advisory boards to young startups through his consultancy, Alesser Ventures. And he's got an interesting story from opera singer to president's club. We're going to dig into that. Tons of transformation in, in Brian's story. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, so let's just jump right in. I'm super curious about the cliffhanger there. Opera singer to president's club. So I think that's a good place to start. And then we were chatting a little bit before, and I know there's been a lot of transformation in your journey. Um, and we'll see where it takes us. Sounds good. Yeah, man. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, best place to begin, I guess. I'm uh, So I'm, yep, Brian Alcesser. I've been, uh, I've been, um, man, I, I don't know. I fell into this thing. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, uh, I don't necessarily think I've ever met someone in my career, be it on my team or a colleague that hasn't also fallen into it. I'm sure, Colin, you probably say the same thing. Um, there's some element of falling into it. Uh, but, um, it's okay because I think what's interesting is that our our experiences kind of uh, drive our outcomes in many different ways. So, for instance, um, I was an opera singer. I, I traveled around the the world singing. Um, I have my master's degree in it. I have my undergrad in it. Um, and if, for a long time, thought it was what I was going to do. Uh, I think what's interesting is like uh, like most American opera singers, uh, you run out of money at some point. Uh, and so I had to make a decision. And at the time, I had started selling Yellow Pages advertising as a way to just fund uh, my future career, if you will. It was like uh, it was what allowed me to pay my bills so that I could continue to sing. That's what at least that's the excuse I gave myself when I first entered it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've been doing it ever since. It's been it's been a career. Wow. So were you it's like singer as a kid in high school, college, everything like that was kind of what you thought you were going to do forever? No, believe it or not, I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had only started singing my junior year of high school. Um, I had a teacher that needed another male uh, for his choir, and he's like, "You do everything else, so can you do this too?" Um, I had been in like involved, I think, in probably every school club that the school offered. So I was like, "Sure, I'll I'll join." And uh, I just wound up loving it. You know, I, it was something that I, I was good at. I, I had, um, you know, I tried really hard in sports and grew up 
playing baseball and uh, wrestling, running. I I stunk at most sports except for except for maybe baseball. I was I was okay at baseball, but uh, everything else was kind of a try. Right, I really had to try hard to be good at. But singing, I never really had to. It was like a natural thing. Um, and I lo- I don't know. There's something weird about me. I, I really like being in front of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's super strange for a lot. It's a lot of people. Well, I guess the introverts out there, um, in extrovert land, I don't think they have a enough extrovert measurement for me to be uh, on that level. But that said, um, I uh, I am uh, being a super extrovert. I I found myself to really enjoy um, being in front of people. And when I realized that, and I was singing. Um, and being in front of people was great. When I realized I could sell, that was also like being in front of people. And so there was like this marriage of like the perfect jobs for extroverts uh, that I seem to be going after. <laughs> wow. Okay. And I'm curious, do you still sing today or is that a thing of the past? Yeah. No, actually, I so I uh, believe it or not, um, I have a uh, – there's an off-Broadway theater that had uh, reached out to me only a few weeks ago for a show. Um, I actually just turned it down because I'm in the middle of moving. Uh, and I have another baby coming and all sorts of excitement on my end. So I, I wasn't able to take it. But no, I still very much sing, love singing. Um, so it's, uh, it's I don't know, I, I think it will always be a part of me. I, I just think what's good, and maybe I've been uh, fortunate to say, is that I don't have to look at it as like the thing that pays the bills. Because I know many of my friends that are still doing it, it can get a little dicey sometimes. You know, This is a little more consistent to be in a sales career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if I may, Colin, honestly, like just to call out, I think I started with we all kind of fell into this role. Yeah. If if there's someone listening to this podcast that goes, man, that's me. I fell into this role. Like embrace it, right? Like I think I had a really hard time uh, when I first became a salesperson embracing being a salesperson. Because I, I don't know, I had like a negative connotation in some ways with my family. Like, oh, you're going to so sell things. It's like mm. – and like I, I embraced it, and you know what? And it, it's rewarded me for doing so. Uh, I now treat it as much of a science as like practicing law or medicine. Like there is so much to study, there's so much to know, there's so much to to learn in terms of psychology of people, um, in terms of human relationships. And if you can become a master of human relationships, you can do anything. So. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it is very common. And I think a lot of people have a hard time embracing it because it is their, they fell into it or is their plan B or the thing that they loved doing didn't work out or what they went to school for. They found out they didn't enjoy as much as they thought they would. And it was like, yeah, looking for a job, lots of sales jobs, you know, sales, there's always sales roles, like regardless of, regardless of what the economy's, you know, current state is their sales jobs are always, you know, hiring. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it was a little different. I had like no other opportunities. So like sales was the only opportunity I had. So I fully embraced it and just, you know, made the most out of it. And I absolutely love it. I think it's the best profession on this planet. Um, so, okay. Uh, well, congrats on the baby, by the way. Thank when, you, man. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. When is the, when's the, the, the new little one going to be joining? Uh, June, June 2nd. So we have a little bit of, a little bit of time, but yeah, it'll be number four for us, which is uh crazy. Absolutely oh, wow. Nuts. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. got number four due in March. Hey, yeah. all right. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, this is a, there's a little club here. I think, uh, you know, uh, young enough guys that can still have four kids. What the heck? That's interesting. Uh, congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people still look at us when we're crazy. When we, yeah. You're the, yeah. probably the only person that didn't look at me like I was nuts when I said no. number four. Was no, no. I, I, well, you know, we started with twins. I don't know. But anyway, I could get into Ooh. this, but we, yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely. that's tough. Yeah. Uh, uh 
I have <laughs> twins run in my family, so every time my wife's gotten pregnant, she's super nervous until we find uh-huh. out that there's only one. Yeah, only one. <laughs> uh, well, good for you. You're rolling dice. Yeah, no, we don't even have them in our family, so it just sort of worked out that way. But yeah, yeah. wow. All right. So, all right. So, you, and, and I'm I'm really curious because. A lot of people, I feel like, I'd say there's two places I hear people get their start in sales a lot and sort of cut their teeth. Sometimes it's Cutco selling knives, and sometimes it's Yellow Pages selling <laughs> ads. And so, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, I don't know, is there, is, what did you take from that first sales role that kind of like st- still is, sticks with you today? Because from what I've heard, like it's, it's a very intense, you know, um, training and, and, yeah. and there's a lot of value in things that you learn in a role like that. Well, I mean, I could talk for a long time on this on this one. Let me first by say, say just mention I actually personally think the very first sales gig I had was being 13 years old going door to door with candy bars in the Boy Scouts. That was my first sales gig, right? Like yeah. it was a competition, had to, who could sell the most candy bars and you got, you know, your your you know, jamboree, you know, uh, ticket paid for by the troop or whatever by, you know, helping to fundraise. But I took that into that first gig, Yellow Pages like um I, man, it is uh, – when I first started, okay, I was part of a, a new experiment they were doing with um, trying to use uh, young talent fresh out of college with no sales experience to go after new money. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to teach like sort of like a fresh fresh face, kind of the same way bartenders get started, right? Like someone's like, hey, you want to be a bartender? And they could bring them around the bar and they show them how to make drinks. And then sure enough, they become a bartender, right? Like that's the same sort of thing. And they wanted to cut us fresh. And the sales dev was – was around, but it wasn't at Yellow Pages. They didn't have a sales dev team. So this, I got started as an AE. Um, mm. Dude, there is, there is. Uh, I give a lot of credit to the young, to the small business owner out there um, because they are doing something very, very hard. They are being an entrepreneur at a level um, where you know they're every day, every dime, every dollar they make. It, it means something to them, right? It's it's the, a very personal business for them. Many of these individuals are very much in a skilled trade, um, or they are, you know, they're operating a a, a a pretty you know small team to to go and help their local community. And like I think like there was one of the biggest pieces of learning that I had was learning how to help others understand the growth the growth model for their own business and i was doing this at 23 right like off of a training out of a sales like a sales training uh and methodology after a music degree so i don't necessarily know what what um gave me the right to to tell some business owner that had been in business 20 years how to grow but i was doing it right and i was doing it well um i think that it taught me a lot about resilience um Mm. In Yellow Pages, rejection is one of the top things. I think I dealt with more rejection in uh, Yellow Pages than I did in any of the SaaS brands that I work with today. Right? Yeah. Um, it is. Uh, it is really cutthroat. Um, you know, you're as good as the dollar that you just that you uh, you just sold. Uh, so if you haven't sold anything in a while, like they would, it didn't matter how long you were there, they'd walk you out. Right. So like very much cutthroat culture, performance culture. Um, and then like also I got started in the business where we I had to wear a suit and tie every day to work, right? Like shine your shoes, wear your suit. Um, and like I was learning from people that have been doing it for 30 years. So I don't know, man. There was so much that I learned coming out of that that like really helped really define what I was do- what I'm doing today for sure. Yeah, I think just building that mental toughness 
and resilience to just, in a lot of cases, just keep pounding the phone, you know, finding the next opportunity. Um, I think there's a lot to be said with just, you know, de- dealing with a lot of rejection early on in a sales career and then pushing through that yeah. um, because then anything after that is kind of gravy, right? I mean, there's yeah, other challenges, 100%. but like if you can, if you can stick through that and, you know, cause most people give up, right? They don't make it, they give up, then they just throw their hands up and they're like, Hey, sales is clearly not for me. Well, a hundred percent. Let me just pause there for a second. There's about, I personally think 80%, if not more of sellers don't, don't apply, don't apply themselves at all. Um, I think it's, it, it might even be more. Okay. I think that if you look at a sales team, how many are actually top performers, you know, like any, anywhere, I pick, pick a company, how many are top performers, right? And it's like, it always seems to be that there's this grouping that always sit at the top. And then there's like a consistent level of B players and then some C players. Right. Yeah. But that, that B player world, it's usually not B, They're not usually B players because they can't do the job. In my opinion, what I've seen is that they're B players because they haven't applied themselves uh, in some way, shape, or form. And I'm going to get in trouble. Someone's going to message me and be like, "You're wrong." Uh, but <laughs> well, but- I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they're like, "You know," and uh, I haven't checked this, but it sounds accurate to me. Sixty-seven percent of you know B2B sales reps aren't hitting quota. I mean, there you go, right? And then, so how many are just making quota? How many are like flirting with quota? How many are then crushing quota, right? Consistently. And this yeah. is where this is where you get into like there's I think good reps that like can hit a quota and perform it. And then there's great reps. And I think the great reps are like one to five percent of all salespeople in the world. And those are the ones that just they don't even I don't even think they know what their quota is. They they don't they've never had the look because they just continue to sell. They don't care. Right. They don't care. They're not sandbagging, you know, <laughs> because they've already hit quota. They're just you know, Pile it on all day. Kicking you know, ass, taking names. <laughs> all day. If you know your product and you know your business, and it's not even product and business. If you can build a relationship and actually build one that, that lasts a lifetime that you can take with you wherever you go, if you can build a relationship, that that is what top salespeople do, right? And so, um, you know, it was interesting because so when, when I was at Yellow Pages um, as a salesperson and, a to- and one of their you know, top performers. I was, I was one of their, their, uh, their presence club winners. When I was, uh, when I was there, it was interesting because you could build relationships year over year and many of the reps did, but mm. it was hard to hold most of your relationships with clients. Like, cause they're smaller businesses. They, it wasn't necessarily something where they were always thinking about you. You were always thinking about them. There was too much volume. Um, when I think about my business today and the customers that I work with today, or like when I've worked in, in any of the software firms that I've been a part of, you have more of an opportunity to work within a set group of people that you continue to work with throughout your career. And that's really exciting. And if you can realize that, that you're going to be around these people, these people are going to be around you. You know, if you're in a profession like that, oh man, what what an opportunity, what an absolute opportunity, right? Because now, again, as salespeople, no one's actually hiring us to go and twist arms, take names, try to close business. They're, they're hiring us to build relationships and be the relationship brand, if you will, for that business. That's what they're hiring us for. I think everyone tries to think, they, oh, I have to sell, I have to sell, I have to sell. No, you, you need to help people buy and people will buy from you if they like you. That's just how that works. Mm. So anyway. Yeah, I'm and, I, and I, think, I think that's a great point because 
uh, a lot of top performers understand the value of the relationship and not just the transaction, right? right? Where right. your B players, they're in it just to hit the quota, check the box, get the deal, move on to the next one, where your top performers understand playing the long game and the relationships I agree. that can equal to bigger wins consistently. I agree. Um, I also think that there's an element of people being able to work from home now that is allowing more people to feel comfortable to be a top performer. I don't think a lot of people are looking at the clock the way they used to, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I Tell agree Tell me what completely. you mean by that. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, when I've, I, there's been several teams that I've led. You'll lead a lot of people. I've probably led over, I don't know. I've had, a, I've, I've been a part of, uh, maybe over a hundred careers. Right. And I think that, um, you have a consistent, definitely always an element. Your B performers will always be people that'll look at a clock. Hey, what time is it? You know, man, is it four o'clock? Yeah, five o'clock? Ooh, I can get out of here. You know what I mean? And they, they and when you're in the office, they were always looking to see your B for your B players were the first ones to pick up their bag and close up shop, right? Take um, the full the full lunch. Gotta go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, connect with friends. This thing's fun, and it's about the community and the culture. Community culture is great, but your A players are always about performance and they, they know how to mix the community and culture in with just being a freaking good at their job. I think when you're working at home, there's a lot more remote work happening now. And when you're working at home, you, you're probably looking at the clock less, right? I know in the morning I wake up, um, I have a routine. I get, I get myself a cup of coffee over at Duncan, right? I walk over, I get my kids, get them on the bus and then I'm on. Right. And then like, I don't know. I, I, I don't even, I don't, know how to spell lunch, let alone, let, let alone know where it should be in my calendar. Right. Uh, and if yeah. I were to look, if I were to look into my day, um, you know, many times I'll come in to help with dinner with the boys, but then I'm right back out and I'll work till eight, nine o'clock. But like, I'm not, not because I, I I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, this is what it means to be a hard worker. I'm just yeah. working until it's done. Right. And I think that that, that is what I mean is that there's a lot more of that happening especially across top performers where they're just working till they're done. They're in a comfortable place to do so. And they're, they're enabled if you will. Yeah. And I think that a lot of say not top performers don't know how to play at that level in a, in a way that's sustainable. Perhaps. Um, that's interesting. Uh, an interesting insight. I well, wonder- because there's a lot of people pushing back on the hustle culture and burning out. And there's people that are, you know, struggling with stress and mental health around like their activity quota and all these things of dealing with all of the rejection, right? Where, you know, I think t- top performers, they just perform under all conditions, no matter what, and can be sustainable. And they don't necessarily yeah. wear out, burn out, or struggle with these type of issues that are real issues for other people. I, I, you know, I make this point too, that you need to have B players as well, right? Like as a leader, you're not always going to have A players. You're going to need B players because you're going to need some sort of consistency function, some sort of machine. Um, and so there's a place in sales for B players, uh, for sure. If you're, if you're one of them, don't feel like you, uh, you should be bad or feel bad about yourself. Yeah. And and, and for some people that's good enough. It's good enough. You know, this is what I want to do. And that's, this is what I've contributed. And you know what? Good, good. Uh, If if that's, I think it's just a matter of understanding that like there's a level that isn't, it's not, it's not the largest reach between a B or an A player. It's not some giant gap. There's not a cliff. There's no mountain to climb. Um, There's no, the, the separation's, Minute. 
And I think that it's uh, maybe larger mentally than, than anything else. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be like working more or working no. longer hours. It's just being more efficient and totally crushing it for the time that you are, you know, in the seat. And you I think know, there's a lot of B players that frankly just waste a lot of time. The valedictorian in med school, do you know what they call them? Tell me. Doctor. Do you know what they call the, the bottom performer? What? Doctor. So here's the thing, right? <laughs> okay. At the end of the day, it's a matter of like, what, how do you want to continue to establish your practice? Right? If you are, if you're a doctor of sales, how do you want to establish your, your practice? And that, that is in essence the, what keeps me engaged, what keeps me dialed in is like, what do I want to do? How do I want to dial in my practice? What's, what's next for my own transformation? Hmm. So tell me, what is it that you're working towards now? <laughs> I don't know. Since you brought uh, it up. <laughs> I don't necessarily, see, that's the thing is, so, so it's a funny question. I, I think if I was to tell you 10 years ago that I was going to be a vice president of sales at some company, I would, I, I, I don't know, I would have laughed. If you were to tell me that, I would have laughed, right? Um, um, because I don't, I don't necessarily know that I've ever played my game that way, where I've planned it. Um, I think that what I've always known to work well in every transition that I've had is I'm not looking for the next thing. I'm keeping my head down. I'm working hard and focused on what it is that I need to get done. And as long as I accomplish that job and I do it well, I know someone's going to notice. And if nobody notices, I know I'm going to notice. I know because I'll I'll see it in my results. I'll see it in my paycheck. I'll see it in whatever I'm, you know, it, we're, we're in a performance business. So if I'm doing right, I'm going to see it, right? Mm. And I think that as long as I've, I've ever worked that way, and stayed that kind of grounded and focused. I've never had the plan because there's always been something there with someone saying, hey, have you thought about this? Or, hey, would you consider Y? Would you want to do Z, right? And, and it's um, it's allowed me to say yes to a lot of different new opportunities, which has been exciting. I think that um, that's, the, that's the key. Uh, I had a boss. I, I, I transitioned to management pretty early in my career. It was like the year three. And I sought it, right? I really wanted to be a leader. Um, and uh, and it, the reason why was because I, I knew that my, um, my skill set aligned really well uh, towards helping others. That's what I liked to do. I was planning to be a teacher, really. Uh, that's what my undergrad, I was in music ed. So I, I really wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then like I didn't like the school districts or whatever. So I, I, I transitioned away from that idea. But it's you, you can't remove the teacher from the teacher, right? Like once, <laughs> like you, once you're a teacher, you're there, right? So I, I, I loved helping others and I wanted to continue to have that kind of opportunity. Um, I think that that is, uh, uh, I think that that is what, um, maybe defines my, like has defined my career in a way is that as I've just focused on the things that have mattered most to me. And by mm. doing that, I've had other opportunities open up that, I don't know. I wouldn't have planned. So, so wow. Okay. So you went to leading a team fa fairly early on. Yeah. About, um, about three years in, I saw, so sorry. So you're right. So I, I sought that out, right? I made a mistake by seeking that out. And what I say <laughs> that is that I, I, I bit off more than I could almost chew. I swallowed it fine and I did well. I wound up being, you know, successful at it, but there was a good seven or eight months there that I was struggling. Like, oh man, what did I do? Right. I remember I walked into my first dude, I walked in my first team in New York City at Yellow Pages, and I remember I, I was supposed to do a ride along with one of the reps. And she had been with the company nine years. 
and she, Julie, I'll never forget this. And Julie took me out. We we're going to go see it in a uh, auto repair shop. And so we get into her car and we're we're driving out to the auto repair shop. She goes, "So Brian, she goes, I'm I'm excited that you're here. Um, how long have you been with the company? I'm like uh, two and a half years. She goes, and what did you do prior to that? I was like, I was in school. She goes, got it. She goes, well, you know, I've been with the company nine years now. So what am I going to learn from you today? And I. <laughs> <laughs> when I don't know. It's a great question. Uh, I think I'm the one doing the learning today, right? Like it was a really humbling. Um, yeah. And so I had a lot, a lot to do to earn my right to lead. And and I would have had probably less work in that regard of earning my right to lead had I allowed myself to accomplish that level on its own instead of seeking it so heavily and focused as I did. Um. And ever since then, I have allowed myself to step into something that someone else has offered me based upon the work that's been that's been done. Um, and that has been that has really made the difference. Yeah, I think that's a great insight, because I think a lot of top performers think they want leadership or managing a team. And, and that's a hard transition to go from, you know, an individual contributor to then managing people. And it's definitely not for everybody. And you know, somebody who has a passion for teaching people uh, like yourself could could be a great leader, but others who are just wanting to do it because it seems like the next logical career path, um, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah, or, you know? or, or if you get into leadership because you think it gives you power or you're closer yeah. to the, the top, <laughs> you just signed up to have more response. You signed up for everyone's responsibility, not just you, not just your own, right? Now, you're responsible for several people's output, not just and, – and here's the fun part. You don't get to control that person. So they, they're going to do what they want to do. You have to learn how to lead. It's a, you know, it's, it's a whole nother gamut. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a whole different set of skills. You know, yeah. and I think the common misconception with a lot of top performers is like, why can't everybody just sell like me? Yeah. And yeah. wake up. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I think I um it was something that I had in the back of my head when I first got started. It was like, bah, I know how to do this. Everyone should just yeah. do it the way I did it. It's like mm, you don't get the that's not how that's not leadership, that's management, right? Like and that's a little different. You know, you can be a manager if you want to be, but if you want to be a leader and you want to actually inspire others to perform great, you need to find a way in which you can connect with them at their level. Yeah, yeah. All right, so tell talk to me a little bit about, you know, your current role, what you're doing. Uh, things you're working on, yep. things like that. Well, I'm over at Saster now. And if you're not familiar uh, and you're listening to this, Saster is the world's authority on helping scale your SaaS business from zero to $100 million with the largest community for executives, entrepreneurs, uh, and uh, and founders. Um, and what's exciting about that is we're working every day with some of the most exciting SaaS categories and businesses um, and helping them bring their brand uh, into life in the SaaS community, right? They're claiming their space in, in their category or in their spot and they're coming and be a part of our community to do it. And so I work every day with that. I have a, I'm the vice president of sales at Saster. I have a, a small team. We are a nimble team. Um, we'll do, you know, uh, we're, we'll, we're, we're four people on the sales team, um, but we will do uh, several millions of billions of dollars uh, this year in sales, right? So like what's cool I'm, not, I'm giving very vague specifics because I'm not sure how much of that is public. Um, but what what I what I will say is that uh, it's um, it's exciting uh, to be a part of a team where because the company is only about nine people big, everybody's an owner, 
and everyone's responsible for doing their work and then some. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no room for mediocrity on the team, which is a very interesting world to live in. Um, and so, yeah, that's what that's what I work in right now. Wow. Okay. And so, what? It, how are the ways that uh, people are engaging with you know Saster? Uh, in the community, like is it through events, education, yeah, training? Yeah. Like, t- tell me a little bit more about it. I love that question. So, there's several ways in which people engage with Saster. Um, you know, we have everything from Saster University, which is like a, a foundation learning ground for you to to learn how to be and learn the best ways to found your company and grow it. Right? There's classes. There's there's community network of people to go and ask questions to. It's 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 a pretty cool place. All the way to our content and blog, we were founded by Jason Lemkin, uh, who is a, a several time founder that scaled the business from zero to $100 million. His most recent was EchoSign, which was acquired by Adobe in 2012 to become Adobe Sign. And Jason started writing content after that acquisition to help founders learn what he learned through doing this several times. Um, he went, and, and it's all of his content went viral. He built a community around it. And he's had several meetups ever since, which have become events for us. Um, so we are a community that, that we're a community that allows founders and executives and entrepreneurs to learn in one place, right? Uh, through the content that we produce and Jason produces. Um, But then on top of that, our vessel by which we help that content get out there many times is our events, um, is our meetups, uh, because these are the places where brands can bring to life what's really happening and and the the real-time learnings that they're facing. Wow, awesome. And if people wanted to learn more, what's the best place and what can we include in the show notes for them? Oh, I love it. Um, well, first and foremost, if you want to learn more about Saster, you got to check out Saster.com. That's S-A-A-S-T-R.com. You can learn more about there. If you're interested in potentially sponsoring uh, an event uh, or bringing your company to the event, uh, by all means, you can reach directly out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can look me up. It's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Elsesser, E-L-S-E-S-S-E. Um, and you can really, it's probably the best. I'm on that thing probably every five seconds. So, uh, easy way to get it. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I encourage everyone. I mean, it's free. Um, if you're, uh, you know, you know, a manager trying to seek help and guidance, a director trying to know how to grow your division, a, a vice president thinking about the future or a founder out there of some kind, um, or anywhere in between, uh, you should totally go check out Sastra University. It's uh, it's a breeding ground of great content and ideas, and I think it's um, it's a place to go learn and understand what you could be doing. Awesome. We'll include the links there in the show notes for everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. really does help us out, and we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.